<laughs> or was it just delayed on my part i think it was just delayed on you okay <laughs> i sounded early as shit on my end it never lines up when we do it sometimes you you both are like oh man that was perfect and i'm like not on my end <laughs> <laughs> the magic of pulp we production all, we all sound like we're off but hey, welcome back to Bros and Murder. This week I am... I had one already set up in my head and I forgot about it because I was watching Megan Thee Stallion videos before we came on. So I guess I'll just be Megan Thee Stallion. No, better yet, I'll be Megan Thee Stallion's left butt cheek. That one works the hardest. Powerful. She's probably left leg dominant, honestly. I'm Battle. Nothing interesting today. No butt references, Battle? No butt references. <laughs> uh, I'm Robert, and this week I'm a cranberry hard seltzer of a company that I'm not going to name because they don't give us money. Oh yeah, fuck them. <laughs> like hard seltzer gang. Also, cranberry gang. Wonderful come together. I am not affiliated with any gangs. I just want to be clear. True, true. This Robert is, a, is a, a purely a meme meme reference. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Bros and Murder, where we don't talk about drinks and butt cheeks all the time, but we do talk about true crime cases of color, weird crimes and oddities, and some cool shit, and also music from up and coming artists that you probably haven't heard of. Maybe you have, but I'm not giving you the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna keep my knee on that neck. So battle, I know you wanted to go first with your tears. I do, because it's... This, el- this, you want to talk about it? You can go... Yeah, you can tell the theme to just yeah. first. So, I'm not doing a case today, everyone. Sorry, I know you want to hear what I have to say about it, but I'm going to give you a little bit something else that I want to talk about. So, today we're talking about missing people, or missing the missing... Wow, 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 missing people... <laughs> My case doesn't, it's not a case, it doesn't focus around one missing person, but rather multiple missing people. I know that you came for for a true crime podcast today, but I want to talk about how murders in the black and Latino community, murders and missing persons remain unsolved, how many remain unsolved. Essentially, there's a shit ton of cold cases, but really who is to blame? So while we'll focus on cold or missing cases today, I want to kind of bring in law enforcement because I think they're the ones who are supposed to protect and serve and help solve these cases, right? Or am I wrong? That was a question, but it doesn't matter. 
Ideally, this is how they function. Let the audience answer. (laughs) I want you to yell at your phone. Your answer. (laughs) Yeah, in your car or while you're pretending to work out. (laughs) When when looking at law enforcement, it's important to know that the following information that I'm going to give you, the statistics and the data that I'm giving you, was from DataUS.io. The website was created by Cesar Hidalgo, who is a professor at MIT's Media Lab and a director of Collective Learning. And before getting too crazy, everyone, about where I'm getting my sources, the team is actually comprised of economists, data scientists, designers, researchers, researchers, and business executives that worked really close with the with policymakers and government officials and normal citizens to develop the data. With that being said, I want to go over some data on the diversity of police officers as of 2018. So there will be a standard deviation to preface everything with this. And standard deviation is normal. If you want to know what that is, I could tell you. Just DM Andre and he'll pass it on. Standard deviation is just like how much the how much the data is like messed up. Like it could be plus or minus like five or ten percent. Um, so a margin of error, pretty much. So in law enforcement in general, men make up roughly 80 to 85% of police officers with women being around 20 to 15% of police officers, give or take another thing to recognize that it, it, another thing to recognize is that in 2018, white people made up about 65 and a half percent of law enforcement, whereas people of color made up 34 to 34 and a half percent of law enforcement. And I get that everyone's tired of talking about race and whatever, but we're going to talk about race because it's part of life and it's but sorry, what we do in this podcast. Show. We talk about true crime of color. <laughs> yeah, if you're just knowing that, yeah. Plus, I like I like to find how like interesting how these th- how interesting these things ha- how they happen. So, in a comprehensive analysis by the Washington Post. It is found that in black and Latino homicides, less than half of the murders are found. Murderers are found, whereas when a victim is a white person, 63% of the time the killer is found or some type of investigation actually happens. So going back to some of the data that I brought up earlier, when you have law enforcement that is majority white having to protect and serve a community that doesn't look like them, it's harder to have, it's more difficult to have that relatability. It's hard to mesh together. So, unfortunately, I think when these police officers are out of their comfort zone, there's less accountability to do the right thing all the time and treat people with dignity and respect regardless of where they're coming from. But it goes both ways if you think about it. Because with these police officers and these communities of color, there hasn't always been a good rapport between the two. But I think everyone knows it, right? And if you don't know it, something is wrong. But (laughs) so with this unbalance, like there's it's just a sense of an an unlevel balance hanging over our heads. So police think that these communities are bad and they don't have much going for themselves, whatever it may be. And the communities are have a lack of trust in the police officers or police officers because there's a history 
of police officers that, you know, do some bad things. And therein lies our conundrum, right? And this also ties into another hole or black hole where there are lower arrests in areas in the black and Latino communities. And because there's lack of, of arrest and investigation that go into these communities, there is this perpetual cycle of violence in these areas. So if they're not if they're not policing it to the point where they're working with the community to figure out what's going on, it's going to keep happening. Yeah, and you see that with you like know? famous serial so killers where, who like you know target areas like that where they just keep getting away with it and getting away right. with it. Right. And it sucks because we need to figure out like, okay, where can we draw the line? Like, do we help this community or do we not help this community or these communities? So for example, I'm going to look at some statistics in Philadelphia and I chose Philadelphia because Oh, that's I was born and grew up. Really? Yeah, I'm from Philly. Oh dope. I didn't know that. I, I moved to Jersey when Jersey. I was sixteen. Forty first Street. Rittenhouse Square. What's up? Okay. Get at me. I don't <laughs> no, know what it is. It sounds Get fun. <laughs> <laughs> I say I don't know anything about Jersey. <laughs> My dad's from Jersey. <laughs> I chose Philadelphia because the Washington Post found that Chicago, Baltimore, Detroit, and Philadelphia accounted for more than 7300 of the black murders with no arrests. And it, between the years of 2007 to 2016, according to the Philly Voice, over 40% of black and Hispanic victims' cases went unsolved. And between these years, 2007 to th 2016, nearly 45% of homicides in Philadelphia did not result in an arrest. In the same data, it shows that 2,300 victims were black with a little over 1,000 case, cases that were labeled as open with no arrest. It also showed that there were 30, 373 Hispanic victims. And it also showed that there was 373 Hispanic victims and about 162 cases labeled as open or no arrest, whereas 256 white victims had only about 58 at open or no arrest. So there was a big issue. There's it. What it shows is that Police disproportionately have arrest in communities yeah. of color. Like they're not, less, yeah, they're not really less doing arrest their job in communities as of color. As they should be. Comparatively. Exactly. If yeah. that's not apparent enough. Right. Again, like you could also I've heard the argument, well, like per capita, black on black crime, like shut the fuck up it's with proximity. that black on black crime bullshit. Proximity. Like I <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> crimes of opportunity and proximity, and that <laughs> like, happens with who your neighbors are. I and who are your neighbors? Well, that's who the city decided. If I, I want to murder somebody and I live in an all-black area, I'm not going to drop in the suburbs to go murder somebody. I'm just going to do it in my area. It's more convenient for me. <laughs> well, and the majority of like murders, people don't decide I'm going to commit a murder. It's you know an altercation or like a a crime gone wrong. You know, it, and when it comes to like redlining and things, the the fact that our cities are so segregated is going to influence the demographics of crime. And redlining is still a thing. Oh, it's still a thing. 100%. Yeah. But we don't want to talk about it, right? Whatever. Oh, I fucking want to talk. <laughs> 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 Again, this is just one city, but we could 
go back and talk about Chicago, Baltimore, Detroit if you want. Um, God damn it. You know what? Fuck it. Let's just talk about Chicago a little bit. Because according to NPR, in 2018 and 2019, when a victim was white, 40, 47% of those cases were solved within 19 months. For Hispanics, it was about 33%. And for African Americans, it was less than 22% in Chicago. Which makes sense because it goes back to this whole idea with the conundrum that I said earlier, that there's a distrust between communities of color and law enforcement. But you have to think, again, about the history between the two. Over time, the lack of finding murderers made the community not want to talk openly about what's going on however they talk in private like they'll talk in private people know what's going on but they just don't want to talk to law enforcement but what this data also shows is that there's a lack of resources that are actually put into these communities there's no sense of police and community coming together coming together to find a common ground because is there really a common ground if you think about it do we have a common ground with like law enforcement and being people of color it's kind of hard unless yeah, you i can talk about this from my point of view as a kid whenever like I, I grew up in that real bad area and then the cops would come in and it will always just seem so condescending because it's also that just like position of power like they're talking down to you about shit it's like, oh you got your bike stolen well that mm-hmm. sucks it's like, all right dick never mind <laughs> <laughs> can, we, can we find my fucking bike or find who did it well and communities that are like hurting for resources have to start relying on like things like the police to do a lot more than what police officers have to do in the suburbs you know right like community building is what we hopefully are talking about away from police entirely for some issues like building the mental health care within a community is you know expensive and doesn't get uh the attention it deserves especially when compared to police officers wanting more vehicles or more dogs or whatever it is. It sucks. And it's something that we need to fix. And in an interview with Reverend Charles Harrison, the board president of the Indianapolis 10 point coalition, which the coalition helps to try to stop violence in communities. He talks about bridging the gap between community and police. And he said, and I quote in the communities, even though, A lot of times people may not want to talk to police. There are conversations taking place within the community and you do know the individuals who killed your loved ones. For him, they ended up coming even, they ended up even coming to the wake and the funeral of his brother, which infuriated him because he was aware that they were involved in the killing. So certainly there is conversation. The problem is as he as reverend charles says how do we get the communi- how do we get the community to communicate that information to police and be willing to testify to put those in prison that are committing these kinds of heinous acts in our neighborhoods so this is so true like how do we get the communicate the com- 
community to communicate with law enforcement, I think, you know, maybe law enforcement could get with the community more without immediately suspecting that this person that this person that has melanin in their skin is going to do something bad because that's what it comes down to. Maybe if we break the cycle and start putting resources into these communities and my community, there can be a change. There can be a cultural shift. Until then, I'm not exactly sure on what to do. I do have some thoughts though on what could be beneficial because aside from resources, maybe having more detectives that look like us or people of color going to these communities would be a beneficial thing because they're people of color in law going into the community knowing how to talk to people in, in our communities because it's, it's different. It's very different. Or maybe we could hold like detectives accountable because there have been multiple law enforcement and law enforcement rats that have come out and said, yeah, there's so many detectives that are just sitting on a bunch of fucking cases with their feet on their desk, not doing anything. But I don't know. So with that in mind, Andre, I think it's appropriate for you to transition onto your case because we're talking about missing people. And I wanted to do that as my case because this is important. This is a big fundamental issue with what we want to do. Like with the podcast, it talked about true crime of color. I think this is the Maybe biggest the hole in the, yeah. like thing that we could possibly do. Like it, 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 it bothers me so much. So I'm sorry it wasn't a regular case, everyone, but I wanted to give everyone background information about why we chose this topic and why it's important. Yeah. So I will segue into away. mine. Well, after a small <laughs> break anyway, so. <laughs> Give me five, it's a vibe in the hood like drive bys. I ain't talking waving hands when I'm in Dubai. Bye with the Hello everyone. This is future editing Andre from the future. See, okay. So what had happened was my audio was pure shit. Because I was recording in a hotel room and it sounded really just staticky and gross. But you know what? that'll happen i was trying to make it best of a shitty deployment but so instead of having you sit through a staticky jumbled mess like i did like a week before sorry for that Hexy, of course you want to jump around thanks <laughs> i forget what i was saying but Instead of having you sit through a staticky jumbled mess, I'm just going to read you my case myself. And maybe I'll add in Robert's and Battle's interjections. So here we go about my missing person's case. My case is about a mother who was preparing for her baby shower when all of a sudden she just... Akia Exton was a 22-year-old soon-to-be mother who was eight months into a painful and complicated pregnancy. However, the family says that she was still excited to have her baby. She recently deposited a $900 deposit on an event space to celebrate her baby shower when she vanished. When on May 3rd, 2017, she disappeared four days before the celebration even happened. Akia is described as a bubbly person in a ball of energy who had many different ambitions, including modeling, photography, singing, and dancing. 
She had a pretty average life, but her stepfather noticed a personality shift after her mother lost her battle to cancer, which I think is very normal for any young adult. You know, if you lose a parent at that age, things kind of shift for you mentally and emotionally. He noted that she became more independent and guarded about her personal life. Still, like most people her age, she was not shy of social media. She was known for documenting like every aspect of her life on Facebook, from favorite recipe updates to her high and lows in her pregnancy. Social media was an outlet for her like it is for most of us. I know that I thought and bop around all over Facebook. I love my memes. You can't stop me. Before disappearing, one of her last posts on Facebook actually was about missing her mother. Her presence on social media, or lack thereof, was one of the first red flags because she went dark four days before her baby shower. And then following the no-call no-show to her baby shower, her family grew concerned immediately. Her family noted just how excited she was about the celebration and that she had already put in $900. So why would she just disappear? She put up the money. She wouldn't just disappear. Unless, like, she didn't want to be found... Well, what if, what if like she pulled out a bunch of cash and left her card? Because if she's using transaction on places, they'd be able to track her. Well, and if if the plan's to bounce out of town, why burn the money that you're you desperately need on the event space? That is true. Her loved ones soon realized that no one had seen her or spoken to her since her social media drop off. And after packing up the baby shower, they went to her apartment in Cherry Hill. To search things. There they found no sign of her. But some furniture and belongings that had been moved about the house. Nothing crazy, but things were shifted around. Her dresser was gone. And her closet was utterly empty. And come to find out later, her bank card was found outside of the apartment on a sidewalk too. So it's not like if she did run off of her own free will, she had any money or access to money. So it should be noted that heavy lifting due to her condition and her pregnancy was off the table for her. So she wasn't toting around her own dresser because just being mobile was painful and difficult for her. Her family said they weren't aware of any plans for her to move out. But close friends did, however, mention that her and her boyfriend, baby's daddy, they were in talks of getting their own place. Lieutenant Terry of Baltimore's police department said that some furniture had been removed from a kid's house, but no one came forward regarding with, like, you know, with any information about the mood furniture. Law enforcement started an investigation and right away interviewed about like a dozen people in connection to the case, but they couldn't narrow it down to a single person. Between then and now, which has been three or four years, 2017, I'm not a math person. But between then and now, about 100 people were investigated and there were no leads with anybody. But police do have a theory, and for once in my life, I agree with the police. While revisiting the apartment, Lieutenant Terry said that her back door, which is adjacent from a parking lot and a set of dumpsters, could have possibly been used to carry out large items. Items in quotation marks, meaning, you know the missing furniture and dresser or Akia herself. 
His theory is that she could have been murdered in her home without creating any evidence of a struggle. And any evidence that was there was just picked up really fast and thrown in a dumpster. And I think we've all heard cases about like evidence being tossed in a dump in a trash and then just being lost forever. Or even sometimes dead bodies get tossed in a garbage and wind up in landfill. So it's not unheard of for someone to get tossed in a dumpster. Man, you're, you're stressing me out. My apartment is right next to our community dumpster. Bro, I'm going to throw you away. <laughs> I'm going to get God walking out. Another theory they have is that she may have sustained a minor injury that then caused her to die. And someone came across the body and just cleaned up and got rid of everything, including her, and just didn't say anything. That theory sounds kind of, in the nicest terms, dumb. Because why would somebody come if someone came into her apartment, they probably they have to have known her. Why would they just see her body and be like, oh, she dead. I'm, let me just clean up everything. That doesn't make any sense. But to this day, she's still missing. The FBI and Baltimore City Police Department are offering up a reward of $25,000 for any information leading to the whereabouts of Akia because the case is still open and her family is still hopeful. She was last seen wearing a green t-shirt and black jogging pants. She is 4'11 and weighs about 100 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. I'll put the numbers to call in the show notes along with a link to the page about her. If you're in the Baltimore area or anywhere in America because human trafficking is real, she could be anywhere if she was kidnapped. But we should all try to keep an eye out. And I will keep following this case because I hopefully would like to see a happy ending. There's like two two pieces of the evidence that like are still like conflicting in my mind about that case is like whoever did this, like had the foresight to like make it look like they were moving potentially, but didn't have the foresight to take their IDs and bank card. Like that's so strange. Like I, I don't think she just bounced town because like there was evidence of her like trying to be in the area for the next few days, but whoever did that like that has to be a complicated scenario very yeah i agree <laughs> but now let's get back to uh roberts weird of the week so on the su- kind of the subject we've been talking about so far this like community building and like distrust of the police amongst the community there's a documentary that i super recommend anybody go out and check it's on netflix right now Uh, It's called Crack, Cocaine, Corruption, and Conspiracy. And it's all about, like, the U.S. government's involvement in allowing cocaine to be trafficked into the United States to be processed into crack in inner-city America. And it's something I've been called a conspiracy theorist a thousand times for talking about. But the U.S. introduced (laughs) crack cocaine to the inner city. This isn't, like, conjecture. Like... You turning a blind eye to people doing this. That means you were involved straight up. (laughs) So please just go watch this documentary. It's, you know, trigger warning. It's pretty rough. They talk a lot about like, you know, the crack epidemic that went on. Pretty rough. Um, But we are going to switch topics pretty hard for the weird of the week. Weird, weird, weird. Weird, weird. Um, I like that. (laughs) Weird, weird, weird. Weird. Um, so this is actually not in the United States, but it is something missing, something vital that was actually destroyed. 
So we are traveling back in time quite a bit. So are you guys aware of the Mayan people? And kind of in general, the Mayans is a group of indigenous people who lived in Central America. So around the Yucatan Peninsula, so think nowadays it's like Mexico, Guatemala, that region. Mm-hmm. Um, incredibly... You ever hear the Mayan death whistle? No. Yes. I haven't. So Mayan can you death play it in the? Can you play it in the episode so I could listen to it in the episode? It... It's, it's so cool. There are these whistles that the Mayan warriors used to carry that when all of them were played together at once, it's, it was supposed to sound like, like a village crying like it was being pillaged. Um, it's a terrifying sound. It's crazy. Um, but, so, we have been kind of taught this perception throughout, you know, colonization and history that the Mayans were, you know, a primitive people that Europeans kind of came in and colonized and enslaved and destroyed, um, which they did colonize and destroy these people, um, but this perception of them being primitive is entirely inaccurate. Um, some of my few little favorite facts about the Mayan people. Incredibly elaborate architecture that they were able to create. Uh, they had running water in some of their palaces, which is something that at the time was very rare even in Europe. They were incredibly accurate mathematicians, uh, and they were, they're famous for their astrology and their calendars that they produced. But we don't talk about how accurate these calendars actually were. So, based on our current understanding of the solar year, um, their predictions were correct to a couple ten thousandths of a decimal point. So, all of our technology that we have today, as accurately as we can measure the solar year, pretty much lines up dead even with the mind's predictions. And another huge aspect of the Mayan civilization was their language. They have over 800 individual signs and glyphs that they used to form one of the first written languages in all of the Americas, which all of these things are fantastic and wonderful and were destroyed and crushed by the Spanish conquistadors. And specifically the Catholic Church when it came into the Americas. So the kind of main villain for today's Weird of the Week is Bishop Diego de Landa, who, in the year 1562, on July 12th, uh, ordered an inquisition in the Yucatan. So, the Spanish inquisition of an area was always a violent act. It's kind of the church saying, you know, there are heathens here, we are, like, going to flex all military power that we have to, like, control these people. And part of this Spanish inquisition that happened in this region um, called for what's called an auto de fe, which is an act of faith or a public uh, form of penance. So he claimed that this needed to happen because these people who at the time were being converted to Catholicism um, were engaging in idolatry, um, which is like, you know, a made-up concept, essentially, of idol worship. So they were still engaging in their, like, religious and cultural practices that they've been practicing for thousands of years. And and they said, you know, you, you can't do that. You gotta be Catholic. <laughs> uh, but during this Inquisition, they burned thousands and thousands of Mayan books. All printed word, essentially, of the Mayans that could be destroyed was... From after the Inquisition, there are three codices, that's what they're called, the Mayan codexes or codices, survived. Out of all of the written words created by the Mayans that could be destroyed, was destroyed. 
Um, and of those three codexes, only one of them, I believe, is actually in Mexico. We have one in Germany and one in Paris. So these are imp incredibly important cultural documents that were pillaged from a land and then taken away from it. There is a fourth codex, but it's just a fragment. It's just a piece of this book, essentially. Um, so these books that were destroyed were not just religious documents. They were histories of the people. They were uh, literature. You know, it, it's just like any other society. Books take on many shapes. They could have been books on medicine or uh, historical events. And there's nothing really you can do against an invader like the conquistadors, because they had guns, steel, and germs. Uh, there's a famous book that talks about that. Yeah, and they destroyed a culture, essentially, and brought it into slavery that in many ways was more advanced than their own. They unfortunately could not contend with the Spanish's brutality, however. So yeah, the, the missing information of an entire civilization was destroyed because of uh, Bishop Diego de Landa, 1562. Oh, also, the Mayans had a concept of zero, which is a, a very unique like mathematical thing and is actually pretty rare. And they have, I think, earliest record is like around 4 AD using the concept of zero or as a placeholder number, um, which the uh, the Europeans did not have at the time. I can't imagine uh, getting rid of all these texts. That just When you were saying that, I just feel so disgusted. Like, why get rid of everything? Like, just erase out of history of people, like people. That's so wild. I really like that one. I really like that. Thank you for telling me. I didn't know that they were just like fucking erased because of conquistador well, son of a bitch. It, it's a form of genocide to destroy a culture so it can't be reproduced. Yeah, that's So that the children that were born there will never have that connection to their land. It's gone forever. So what, now they become Spanish? They start speaking Spanish, as they still do. Mayan languages are still around, but they are dying. And they're, you know, many people still just speak Spanish in that region. Also, return the codexes. Return the codexes to their right? homeland. Yeah. That's, the British Museum in general is the worst about that. Yeah. Welcome to my MTV Crips. Remember the other? Oh, man, that was so embarrassing. I had no idea. My phone was my pocket. Son of a bitch, we're ending it here. Stay tuned for the next artist who's going to be featured right now. <laughs> also, I love you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>
Why you upset like Cinderella teens? Used to see the things I fit inside these denim jeans I can't associate with y'all this shit like ketamine Been on one, been on two, been on everything Bitch, I'm with my gang, with my squad, what the fuck you want? So be rolling gas, I can't hang, bitch, I'm fucking gone I got people down from the jump, better know your bonds I got people just tuning in and the love is strong Damn, they gon' want a piece when you got it like that Like Jake said, we gon' spend it, get it right back to the site crash They on IG Try get a light back See they don't talk that talk They just type fast Yeah we real life Cool it's really like that I might roll an eighth inside the blunt That's a nightcap Like where my lighter at Boy I got a flight to catch Through these us and these downs With a guy and a dead thing change Don't forget where that sauce came from Best remember my name Take L's ain't once in a while, gotta charge to the game You gotta charge it to the game Yeah, yeah Through these us and these down, swear to God, ain't a dead thing changed Don't forget where that sauce came from, best remember my name To feed the fan These fuckboys need to grow up like Peter Pan Sometimes I get so high I never land Ain't no need to overthink it I already understand They be plotting on my downfall And need another plan But we welcome all that hating I'm like thank you come again Made a stack off the game And gave a hundred to my man I don't owe no money to him I just did it cause I can Yeah round shit We ain't on no clown shit You a product of the people That you stick around with Don't get caught up in the evil That'll have you down bad Ain't no way around that People I came up with Charge a couple else in the game But I still love it Keep it low key In order to stay above it I make it all out of nothing Yeah Through these us and these downs Swear to God Ain't a dead thing change Don't forget where that sauce came from Best remember my name Take L's ain't once in a while Gotta charge to the game You gotta charge it to the game Yeah, yeah.